Okay, so we have Kurt Doppelbauer. He's Vice President and Strategic Sales and Business Development for TT Tech. Tell us a little bit about what you guys do, Kurt. Industries for more than 24 years. And we're focusing on network computing platforms for onboard uh, systems. And that meaning it's really looking into the avionics, the safety control systems like flight controls, power systems, landing gear systems, engine control systems, so all the systems that are relevant for the flight uh, of the aircraft. And we see a need that there is more and more data in order to integrate more and more functions as well to enable new functionalities. And so that's exactly what we provide uh, to the aerospace industry. And this is also based on cross-industry. That's a key aspect of this, that we see this need for this more data and more computing power all over the, the place in the automotive industry, in the off-highway market, and in the transport market, and also space, and also UAV and UAM market. So tell me a little bit about where your technology is being used now. I know we mentioned Boeing and Airbus. Yeah, so so we started at Tita Tech in '99. And we started the, the Airbus A380 was the first aircraft program to, to use our technology. And then we started also with the Boeing 787. And uh, a key partner for that was Collins Aerospace, because all of the T1s are building platforms that they want to apply, because these are really high-performance, modular, scalable architectures that they want to apply on many different aircraft programs. So Collins has been reusing this on several different aircrafts, being it the 787, being the E2 program, being it also on the C919 aircraft, for example, and several other aircrafts where they're using this, A220 as well. And then we're also in the business chat market because also there with the our cross-industry approach has a, a lot of benefit to the industry in terms of economies of scale. So to bring down the air trans, the safety that you are used to in the air transport down to the business chat. So the Embraer legacy for 5500 was the first aircraft in its class to have fly-by-wire technology. And uh, so we're, we're, we're on this. And now any new aircraft in this business jet original is equipped with fly-by-wire systems. Right. And so that's a big push forward in the industry to make flying safer. And But we also <clears throat> on several helicopter programs that are demonstrations. I was just going to uh, ask aircraft. if you're on rotorcraft. <laughs> We're on rotorcraft as well. That's uh, Raider. It's, it's one of the demonstration aircrafts right now on future vertical lift. Are you on Raider? Yeah. Yes, we're on Raider program. got their engine yesterday. Yes, exactly. Yeah, right. And so we've been, they've been flying the aircraft since 2014 timeframe, I think. And I've so it's, it yeah. 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 So it's, it's great to, and yeah, via cool. also on the UAM market, we're on Joby with Honeywell. We are a couple of aircrafts like what Honeywell publicly announced with Anthem cockpit system on the Lilium aircraft, on the Supernal aircraft, on Vector Aerospace. There's a couple of others that are not announced yet. So it's, we really cover the whole, let's say, from the lower level applications from the UAM market up to the air transport market. And that's, I think, really the beauty that uh, for passengers as well, you can be assured sure. in the future that really the safety that you are used to on an air transport aircraft will also be the standards on the UAM side. On the other hand, with all this innovation happening on the UAM side, the benefits will also later on as well be available for the big transport aircraft. Sure. So it sounds like it's basically platform agnostic. 
This is a benefit. Yes. If you fly, this is a benefit. Yes, absolutely. Fantastic. Sure. You mentioned when we talked before that you have this deterministic networking solution is what you provide. Can you tell me exactly what that means? It seems like yes. a little bit of industry speak, but I'm sure there's a specific definition for it. Yes, absolutely. So so everybody's used to Ethernet in your computers, in, in your offices, and it provides a lot of power. And there's many industries behind these networking technologies. However, this doesn't suit, didn't suit the aerospace industry so far because it's not deterministic enough in order to meet the needs of the aerospace industry. So what determinism means is that a certain message that is sent by a computer on the aircraft on the flight controls, for example, to an actuator as well, needs to be sent exactly at the time it is supposed to be sent and also be received there. And this needs to be 100% deterministic. So this is exactly what determinism means for those critical application of the aerospace industry. And this is what we added to standard industry technologies like Ethernet and augmented this with additional functionality so it can be used exactly on aircraft for avionics, for control systems and so forth. And this is a general industry trend that has been led by Airbus and Boeing as well. And we've also implemented those standards. We added additional functionality to make it even more deterministic but that's really the use of those deterministic high-performance networks was introduced by the A350 and the 787 and the A380 actually as well. So this was the starting point of really this high-performance deterministic networks on the avionics side. And now it's trickling more and more down as well to all the control data for the fly-by-wire power systems as well versus the old point-to-point -point connections which with airing for 29 are only 125 kilobit versus what Ethernet can do right now is up deterministic Ethernet can do up to gigabit. Okay. So, <clears throat> excuse me, are we talking about, I mean, does that, is that health and uses monitoring? Is that what we're talking about? Like the aircraft is telling the maintenance technicians on the ground what they need to do. And you're, you're talking about making it faster and more accurate. Yes. Well, that's another aspect of it. Prognostic maintenance, which prognostic the, the okay. prognostic maintenance is exactly what the engine industry has been developing. And this, as there's more and more sensors on the aircraft, there's more data right. available exactly in this. You need to have the infrastructure on the aircraft as well to be able to handle all this data, to process all the data and make something meaningful out of it. And the meaningful sure. means also control. So you don't want to have different infrastructures for collecting the data and then executing the data as well. And that's exactly what deterministic networks can provide, that they can handle both the, the prognostic data or the sensors and all the inputs. And on the other hand, also can handle all the control data. Okay. And so how can, how can airlines, you know, embrace this? I mean, is this something that they can do on legacy aircraft? Is it, can it be retrofitted? What's the swap C on that? Yes, so definitely it's it's uh, an area that the OEMs on the one hand, but also the tier ones, so the big Honeywells, the Thales, the GE and, and uh, Collins as well is pushing for new flight management systems, for new cockpits on existing aircraft, for example, right. when they do upgrades to the systems, because this allows them to add more functionalities. 
you know, like new Jefferson, the flight data as well from all the airports out there as well. So it's really a key platform need to do this in order to optimize and save costs at the end of the day. I think this is really one of the main drivers as well. If you can optimize your flight profile, this will reduce the cost. And for that, they're willing to also make those changes so that they can introduce new functionalities. Right. Are the are the flight decks that are existent now modular and open architecture enough to accept these changes? Well, I think there's a mixture out there in the industry. So anything that you forward fit right now, definitely. I think in all the big uh, cockpit providers are using deterministic Ethernet network solutions like EFDX uh, for that. And for all of this, exactly, you can integrate more functionalities to, together with the middleware layers that are also are space and time partitioned operating systems. This was exactly the drive in order to have partitioning for the functionalities from critical and non-critical data. And so that you can easier do technology insertions and upgrades. So I, I would say for the majority of all the aircraft that are being delivered now, this is a, a core feature that every airlines wants, wants to have. Big tier ones. And I think it's, it's something that Certainly, they do a good business case for that and how much uh, cost they can save with that. And we see a lot of upgrades that are happening out there in the industry. So I think there's a good business uh, case there for, for doing that. Well, I guess my question is just... Yes, yes, it's actually both. It's the airlines, but also the OEMs like the Airbus and the, the Boeings as well, because they can also provide functionality at lower cost. So it's always the mantra is more for less. And I think that's really what this is enabled. Is this going to help? You know, your your approach to avionics, is it going to help with the challenge of swap C, which is, let's say, size, weight, and power? Oh, what's C? I can't remember. Yes, uh, cost. 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 Space cost. And cost. Yes, absolutely. So, size, weight, power, and cost is always an issue with everything that goes in the air. So, you know, talk to me a little bit about how this can help with those concerns. Yes. So it, it's a logic. I mean, if you look at uh, how heavy your mobile phone was maybe 15, 20 years ago and, and what you can do now with your, so there's the electronics is so powerful as well that you can do more with less. So that helps uh, quite a bit as well in terms of the, the, the weight savings as well and, and the volume you need for, for those systems. So you can do much more functionality on, on less hardware on the aircraft. So that exactly helps the, the speed that you need for those uh, systems. You can have a cabling, for example, if you have thousands and thousands of cables, point-to-point -point connections versus a shared infrastructure, you can uh, save a lot of weight on, on the aircraft. We did several studies on this in order right. to convince customers to use new technologies. And that's in the several hundreds of kilos on some landing gear systems, for example, as well. And all this adds up. So yes, absolutely. This helps. This new technology is very powerful, high-performance network computing platforms dramatically reduce the number of wiring that you need on an aircraft. Mm -hmm. And also that you can have more functionality on less hardware. Can you quantify in any way what kind of savings you can get? You did studies. Can you share us a, an anecdote or something? It, it was from, I think, in one study on a, on a cockpit, for example, it was from the hundreds of different data buses that are on, on the aircraft to four wires. Wow. So it, it's really a substantial amount because exactly the 
data buses airing for 29 was point to point only and with this new powerful uh, data buses you can do much more uh, via one data and you you connect them all together so that that was one example yeah got it and that must cut down on um, maintenance and training for ground personnel as well am i wrong yes absolutely because you can it like it would simplify the system you can simplify the system. You can have you get the data up front. You can prepare when the, the aircraft comes in as well. You know exactly what's going on. So there's more and more automation as well on what's happening on the aircraft. And a, a good example as well. It's it's a simple as well on the cabin, for example, as well that you see which motor is not working. And you know, in first class, it's very right. important that this are that's where the margin is made. And so for those kind of applications, you want to know is all the seats are fully functioning. And if not, that's the number one. The air besides only the flight or the critical systems that they're working. Okay. Is there any worry when you simplify systems like this that there are fewer points points of failure? I think it's, and I trust in the in the industry, there is no compromises on safety. I think that's definitely yeah. something the, the bar for certification is rising. And it's also something that we have been working with uh, the FAA or EAS as well, because new technologies require also the FAA and EASA to learn. So it's I've been in several conferences on UAVs and UAMs as well. There are new uh, standards as well from crawl, walk, and run. The industry is partnering with, with the cert authorities in order to make sure safety is always number one. And yes, you want to include new functionalities, but the safety is, is the basis. And then you gradually integrate new functionalities. So it's that's the reason why it's not a, a jump from one to another. If you want to ha- add new functionality, you test it out and it's an additional feature that you might use. And if right. you have enough service history, then you can integrate it and get then later on as well credit for the additional functionality that you have included. I mean, we've already, we talked about, I mean, this is all determinism and UA, uh, I mean, AI, where do computers come into this? I mean, are, are we going to see more and more of the flight controls taken over by computers than pilots? Yes, I think it it will definitely, that's the goal to have more and more automation. And there is on the civil air transfer, there's a lot of autonomy already taking place. I think there's actually right now, even a topic as well, to have the pilots more engaged as well, that they don't lose, learn how to fly the aircraft. Right, so, exactly. So I think it's definitely helping the pilots in, in all the decision making as well. It's somewhat similar, like in the automotive industry. Although you bring in all the capabilities right now in order to learn, to have the systems learn how to react to systems, to have all the eventualities so that you can always improve also your computer uh, systems and the application and control laws for all the situations that you can think or not, you cannot think of. Right. And so that's the reason why there are so many things that you cannot envision in the beginning. Therefore, a pilot is very important. But later on as well, it will be, I think, more and more accepted. One of the first use cases for more autonomous flights will be on the cargo side. I think for okay. point-to-point connections for cargo aircrafts, cargo drones as well, I think that's one of the first applications for really autonomous uh, flight. And then later on as well, as there is more experience, then this will move into the other areas. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, the military is working on that too. And, you know, right now they 
they're talking about casual evacuation, casualty evacuations, but they're not going to do that immediately. They're just going to do cargo, which they've already done on a, on a fairly large scale. But so, so now we've got commercial aircraft, private aircraft, UAVs, EV tolls. I think the future of the airspace is very, very crowded. And also there's just a huge demand for commercial air travel now, especially after COVID-19. And we're trying to figure out how to ramp up from the, from the nadir, I guess, of, of air travel. And we got to figure out how to fit all these pieces together without having them run into each other. Is that something that, you know, this technology can, can help with? Well, it's definitely one piece of it. I think it's the it's not it's it's one piece or one puzzle of the complete picture. I think it's it's a key aspect of in order to really benefit from all the new technologies that are out there as well. You need to have the assurance that you can run this highly deterministic and in a secure and in a safe way. Right. So it's it's a kind of a enabler in order to to do this, and also we we are not stopping there where we are right now. So right now our technologies are up to gigabit, I think. But we certainly going forward, we also will improve this to higher speeds. But this is really essential in order to be able to grow with the systems and to constantly improve and enhance the systems. So where where might you be able to go when you enhance your throughput? from from currently well i, I, I mean, think what's it's the goal well the, the goal is to have to make flying at the end of the day more automated or uh, exactly for uavs or uams that you don't have a pilot on there okay. and i think for when there are for long haul flights, for example, as well, that you can reduce the number of pilots on there because okay, on the one sense. hand, you, you need to have so many pilots on the still on the civil uh, air transport side. And there's also the UAM market that needs also a lot of pilots. So there is a lack right. of pilots. So if you can help and support the industry in, in making and automating more and more functionality and to making flying easier, then you have the chance in order to provide uh, yeah, this growing demand for flying into getting f- from point A to B faster. And I think this is a key, key aspect of that. Right. So I know, yeah, the uh, pilot shortage is a big, is a big issue. You know, there's, there's the issue of having easier or not easier, but like lessening the training requirements versus requiring less pilots versus, I mean, are we going to meet in the middle somewhere? I think it's in order for the for the long term vision on the UEM, for example, that we have hundreds and thousands of of those UEMs out there. Yes, it needs to be intuitive, that you really either right. are in a confined area and, and you know exactly where or the vehicle knows exactly where you go, or you are supported by ground stations as well, or you can really say and there's a lot of work going on in this direction as well, where you tell the the vehicle in this frame that you have. How mm-hmm. fast you go if you go left here or right here as well. So you don't need to really control the aircraft as such. This is done by the aircraft by itself, but you really tell the aircraft in which dimensions you want to go. Okay. But you mentioned a little bit of, about cross industry. So, you know, I think you mentioned automotive. Where else could this? technology be applied 
So I think for us, the really the big mega trends are uh, autonomy, more automation to autonomy, uh, safety and security of the systems, and Internet of Things. And okay. these key trends that are on on the aircraft, they're in the car industry, they're on the off highway market, precision farming, for example, as well. Okay. And all of them, all, all of them need network computing platforms in order yeah. to exactly do more automation to do a constant upgrade of your systems as well to improve to improve the functionality of your systems so it's a, a, a wonderful industry to be in and to be in as all of them as you integrate more of this functionality you need to have more safety you need also more security and they go hand in hand safety without security is nothing and security without safety is not really cannot hold and so these are all areas that with our general purpose platforms on the on the aircraft as well, together with all the configuration tools that you need and ver- uh, verification tools. So this model-based system engineering is a key aspect as well. So it's not right. only the platforms, but the infrastructure in order to really ensure fast time to market, you need to have a very powerful software development environment and also verification environment in order to really be able to model all of this, to design all of this, to verify all of this, and then to exactly have the first systems out there and then also allow the upgradability of the systems. Right. Okay, so I think when we th- when the general public thinks autonomy, we think, you know, the Terminator... Or, you know, Tesla cars running into people that, you know, and and can't stop. I mean, is there any concern that, or where is, where is autonomy right now? And what can it actually achieve versus, you know, where, what we think of as like actual robots that can, you know, drive cars and fly airplanes? So and are they going to kill us? I'm just, uh, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I think it's the number one goal of autonomy is definitely to, to reduce the number of accidents. Uh, if you look okay. at how many accidents are happening every year, I think it's in the US, it's like 40, 40 to 50,000 uh, accidents are happening. Yeah. Uh, right. With people uh, or, driving. With Exactly. With people driving right. and how many people are texting on, on the, while they're driving as well or gaming or whatever. So I think it's definitely, and, and I think the history has shown as well in the automotive industry, it's not from one day to another, everything is autonomous and also on Tesla as well. Right now, there are a lot of restrictions in there actually, how you can use this. And right. so, and on, on the on the aerospace side, there are autonomous UAV drone, delivery drones that are being used more and more, for example, with Zipline in, in Africa as well, and more and more also in the US. Right. And uh, I think that this is definitely being used more and more. But again, I think it's really in confined areas. And because Tesla is certainly always pushing the limits and uh, with the air transport market, like Boeing and Airbus, I think they're rightly so. They're, they're taking a conservative approach to this. Yes, enhance and do more automation, gradually increase this. And there's a lot happening. I mean, when the, when the aircraft cruises, the maturity is done autonomously. There's autopilot as well. There's the auto landing as well. But I think it's it's always good to have this the pilots on board still for... Yeah, additional lessons learned for it on on eventualities that you cannot fully automate yet. Yeah. 
Right. And I think my question was a little disingenuous because you're right. I mean, if, if a Tesla runs into somebody, it's news. But if somebody driving a car runs into somebody, which happens every day, 10,000 yeah. times a day, it's not news. So the, yeah. It's difficult. It's difficult to measure how many lives are saved. Right. Exactly. So, um, yeah. So when we're talking about determinist, deterministic, I can't get that word right. Deterministic networking. Can you put it in context of what is available now and, and what, people are using i mean what airlines are using or what other options there are right so the domestic networking right now afdx is one of the main ethernet based uh, network that has been standardized by together by airbus and uh, boeing in the industry and that's 100 megabit right now but the new initiatives as well to get this to to gigabit and that's really, this was the drivers, Airbus and Boeing, but it's now being used more, more and more also on the regional aircraft, on the business jet. So any future aircraft, even down to the UAM as well, they will be using the deterministic networks. It's limiting right now, the 100 megabits. So that's the reason why gigabit solutions, what we already have on the market as well, is really a state of the art in this regards, but it will not stop there. I think it will also go then to 10, 40, 50 gig as well, exactly in order uh, to have this functionality in because you you don't want to, uh, the network is like the nerve system on an aircraft. You don't want to rip this out and, and after five or 10 years, you want to have those systems on the aircraft for the next 20, 30, or even 40 years. Right. And so when you build a new aircraft, you want to make sure that you use really state of the art for your systems so sure. that you can do later on as well, technologies, insertion, upgradability of the systems and add additional functionalities or systems on the aircraft. So that's really the key driver for this to not only enhance current systems, but also to make sure that these platforms allow the future functionalities. And business models, I think it always goes hand in hand as well as well. What business models can the industry offer to the airlines, for example, as well with these new functionalities? Right. So you, so if you think about it like a nervous system, I mean, if you enhance the brain or the spinal cord, like one element of it, is there an is there an issue with downstream functionality? Like, I mean, if you increase the throughput of one part. <clears throat> How do you make sure that it can get to all the fingers and the toes? Yes, absolutely. That's a very good question because that's the the the, the key aspect of deterministic networking that you can do partitioning of the systems that you can upgrade. Certainly, you cannot go if you have a one gig system right now as well. You cannot have an end system that, that supports ten gig. Right. However, if let's say that the switches or the main distribution power system sort of the which are the switches in, in a system then you can add according to this system with this modularity in systems that support 10 or 100 or 1 gig as well so you have much more flexibility to add this as long as you stay in there and with this modularity and, and partitioning you can have different participants that are maybe to level a or some are only to level c or d or the lowest level which is level e right. so that's a key enabling factor where in, in the past you had point-to-point -point connections where it didn't have an impact on all the other systems. Now, as you have all this on a shared infrastructure, you need to make sure that you have the technology in place that really 
can assure, 100% assure this partitioning, this modularity that one lower level functionality cannot influence another more critical functionality. Got it. Okay. So just to, to sum up, if, if all this works and it's adopted, is it worth asking where we're going to be in five or 10 years or might you, might you proselytize a little bit? I think that I cannot give you a very concrete or a quantitative answer to that, but I, I think it's, it really helps in a strive from the aerospace industry to reduce the number of accidents. Yep. Be more on time on the, on the aircraft, reduce the number of accidents is the number one goal. And to assure as well that when you have your fleet out there, that you have less downtime of, of your aircraft and that you can really yeah, make the profits of all the investments that you made. And then up the third topic, very important as well, is sustainability. Because sure. with those systems that are more efficient, you can operate the aircraft. And with every new aircraft, you want to get 25% or 30% down in costs and environmental impact for that. And so that has a big impact and positive result for the environment. So that's a big push in the aerospace industry to really have the systems in place and the capabilities to reduce by what we have right now. But also in the future, if you go to hydrogen or other applications or into a different architecture of an aircraft that we see, I mean, all of the big ones are trying new different designs of the aircraft, how to reduce the environmental footprint of the aircraft. That's exactly what is needed as well to have those systems in place that can adapt to those uh, requirements in the future. Got it. Well, Kurt, it's been wonderful talking to you. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. It was a great uh, discussion as well. Thanks for the uh, very good question as well. There's a lot going on. There's a lot of momentum in this aerospace industry. It's really fun to be in this industry Absolutely. because there are so many new players in this market there are new ways how to ensure a safer travel also to reduce the, the footprint in this industry so it's, it's a wonderful place uh, to be in 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 this market 